Good morning, Gold Avenue Church. Today we're continuing the series on the gospel tools. We're looking at thought unit number 11. This is Reverend Elaine May, and it's my privilege to bring the word this morning. Thought unit 11 reads, God initiates and promises restored relationship and role. While the human family spirals into chaos and rebellion, God embarks upon a long road of redemption. He cleanses the earth through a flood. He calls Abraham and from him a nation of people. And then God promises that through them he would bless the whole earth. We're going to dig into the truth of that thought unit this morning. So this week embarks upon the one-year anniversary of the global shutdown due to COVID-19. It has been a challenging year to say the least. The virus has caused us to change or cancel our plans, adapt our way of life, isolate from one another. We have all experienced grief and loss to one degree or another. The pandemic has also created a lot of division over, you know, what's required of each other Mask or no mask, gather not to gather. If that wasn't enough, this past year, we also saw and experienced intense division in the nation over racial equity and partisan politics. It seemed like all of it came to a peak on January 6th as we saw citizens of the United States storm the Capitol building as chaos and rebellion followed. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times this past year when I didn't mind social distancing. There wasn't a whole lot of good happening out there in society. Every time I watched the news or opened Facebook, I felt like retreating into deeper isolation. I felt helpless and unsure of what to do, what to say, how to speak, without being labeled liberal or conservative. Honestly, I felt overwhelmed by the problems of the world. They're just too big for me to solve. I don't know where to begin or what strategy to employ. And then you know what, friends? When I came upon Genesis 12, I realized I'm overthinking this whole thing. God has already established a strategy for restoration. He has a plan. In fact, he's already enacted the plan. We're going to hear about it this morning. But before we do, let me put Genesis 12 in context. Genesis 12 is going to be our key text for this morning. Genesis 12 comes right after the story of the flood and the Tower of Babel. It was a time marked by chaos and rebellion, a time when the problems of the world were significant, when the effects of sin resulted in havoc on the world, not unlike today. We have spent the first five weeks in this series talking about sin and the effects of sin. Everything and everyone is affected. No one can escape it. The narrative in chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis put into perspective 
how corrupt humanity had become after Adam and Eve rebelled in the Garden of Eden. No less than five times God judges the rebellion of his created people for their selfish pursuits. Five times the author of Genesis uses the word curse. Humanity was now alienated from God and estranged from one another, caught in a perpetual struggle against a sinful nature and an enemy intent on their moral and spiritual destruction. Even after the destruction of the world by the flood, human rebellion continues in the account of the Tower of Babel. The people of the ancient world in Mesopotamia gathered together and committed to building a city for themselves. We're told the people had two objectives, to resist being scattered over the face of the earth and to make a name for themselves. They wanted to create their own identity. This is a poignant picture of humanity's attempt to live independent of God, a continuation of the rebellion of Adam and Eve. Now, the central problem with their plan is that it's contrary to the mandate God gave humanity at creation. Do you remember the mandate? The mandate is to be fruitful, to increase in number, to fill the earth and subdue it. Incorporated in this mandate is the command to have dominion over God's good creation, to develop the hidden potential in all that God created, to plant and to grow, to explore and to populate, to care for creation and influence the world for good. And yet the people of Babel resisted God's given mandate. They wanted safety and security. They wanted to remain together. They did not want to be scattered over the face of the earth. They wanted to hoard their blessing for themselves. Their motive was to be great and to make a name for themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I can feel these same impulses in me. I want safety and security to shut the chaos and complexity of the world out and to say, stay safe within my own four walls and within the walls of the church. Maybe you can relate. Well, friends, there's good news for us today. God reveals his strategy for addressing the chaos of the world. And he reveals it in Genesis 12. And he invites us to be part of it. We don't need to fear or retreat from society. It all starts with one man. God calls one man through whom all nations on earth will be blessed. God restores for himself a people who will enjoy relationship with him and who will be a blessing and have dominion over his creation just as he always intended. Now, if you have your Bible close at hand, turn to Genesis 12 and follow along with me. I'll be reading from the New International Version of Scripture. So Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, 
your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Cana, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Well, we give thanks to God for his word. Now, Abram was just a regular guy. He lived in a populated area in the ancient world, in a fertile valley between two rivers, in a coastal town on the north end of the Persian Gulf. Abram was the son of Terah. He had two brothers, one of whom died, leaving a son that Abram adopts as his own. Abram was married to Sarai, and we're told that the couple struggled with infertility. The verses in Genesis describe Abram's family as ordinary. They aren't wealthy, affluent, doesn't seem to be anything unique about them. They're a secular family worshiping the idols of their culture. And in the midst of an ordinary life, God reveals himself to Abram and says to him, Go, go from your land to the land I will show you. God calls Abram to give up the security and autonomy that the people of Babel strive to achieve for themselves. God calls Abram to leave his country, leave his people, leave his family. God calls and asks Abram to let go of earthly security in exchange for a relationship with him. And God makes a commitment to Abram saying, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This is God's divine strategy to redeem all of creation. Through Abram, God is working to reverse the effect of sin on his creation. For every curse spoken in Genesis 1-11... God speaks a word of blessing. 
Five curses in 11 chapters. Five blessings in these verses. The story of scripture pivots on this passage. Now we're told that Abram believes God, accepts his invitation, packs up his belongings, his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and his aging father Terah, and they head out for Cana. When they arrive in Cana, Abram builds an altar to the Lord. Not a tower, an altar. He worships God and reaffirms his trust in God. He builds an altar acknowledging God's presence and God's faithfulness. Now you can imagine that as with any faith journey, there are highs and lows in Abram's life. Times when his faith is strong and times when it's weak. Times when he's walking in step with God and times when he falters. Times when he's tempted to take matters into his own hands to make his own way and to secure his own future. And it's in those times that God comes to him and reminds him of his presence and his promises. In chapter 15, he says to Abram, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. As Abram's story unfolds, God fulfills his promises. Abraham and Sarai acquire a significant amount of wealth. Their nomadic tribe grows. Scripture tells us that about 300 men work for Abram. The men and their families live surrounding Abram, creating this large nomadic village surrounded by cattle and other livestock grazing on the land. Now I wonder if Abram experienced moments of satisfaction. Was he tempted to sit outside his tent, overlook his village, survey the property, the wealth he had required, and simply exclaim, Man, I'm so blessed. Thank you, God, for fulfilling your promise to me. Well, here's the problem with that. That's not fulfilling the whole promise. That's not the whole story. It isn't the fulfillment of God's promise to him. The remainder of the promise is that Abram and his offspring are to be a blessing to the nations. God's gift of blessing is not reserved exclusively for Abram and his family. The climax of God's promise comes in that third verse when he says, All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth blessed through Abram. Abram is responsible to be a blessing. Now, he doesn't need to manufacture blessing or to make blessing happen, but he must allow the blessing of God to flow through him to the nations. Abraham cannot sit within the walls of his nomadic village, content to live out his days in isolation. It doesn't end there. Abram is given a message, pardon me, Abram is given a mission 
a mission from God. He is blessed to be a blessing. And the nation he gives birth to inherits that mission as well. The nation of Israel is to be a people set apart. A distinct people called to to live among the other nations of the world. But they are called to live in contrast to the nations around them. Leviticus 19 gives us a summary of how unique the people of Israel were intended to be. Israel was instructed to respect their family members, including being sexually faithful to their spouse, to be free from idolatry, to show concern for the poor, the vulnerable, the elderly, and the foreigner, to be fair and honest in their business negotiations, to maintain a high standard of personal integrity, to ensure justice in their courts and in their speech, to be concerned about the safety and well-being of neighbors, and to care for God's creation. All of these and more are the unique qualities and characteristics of the nation that starts with Abram. Now, without recounting the entire history of the people of Israel provided for us in the Old Testament, I'll just summarize and say that the people of God struggled with this mission. They forgot it at times. They lost their way, and as a result, they lost their distinct identity and failed to be a blessing to the surrounding nations. But here's the thing. It was still God's strategy. And God, in his love and his faithfulness, well, he didn't let this commitment of blessing to end with Israel. From the line of Abram comes the greatest gift of blessing for the world. From Abram comes one through whom the whole world will be blessed. Jesus, the Son of God, is born to a descendant of Abram. Through Jesus, God's creation is redeemed and restored. The curse is reversed. The ultimate and complete fulfillment of the promise given to Abram is fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, is given dominion over creation. Jesus establishes God's kingdom of blessing on earth. Through Jesus and with the sending of his Holy Spirit, God reestablishes. He reinvigorates his strategic plan to create a people of blessing so that the whole world will know that he is the one true God. God's intention is that his name and reputation will be known by all through a covenant people of blessing. The Apostle Paul teaches in his writing to the Galatian church, 
All who believe in Jesus are children of Abraham. All who believe in Jesus share in the blessing of Abraham to be a blessing. So what does that mean for us? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 is a great place for us to go for a summary of the implications of this truth for us. First, as a disciple of Jesus, you are dearly loved. Well, before I go any further, friends, let me ask, have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you committed your life to being his disciple? If not, do it today. Don't miss out on another day of life with him. In Jesus, you are given every spiritual blessing. You are no longer an orphan. You are adopted into God's family. In and through Jesus, redemption and forgiveness is yours, according to the riches of God's grace. Grace that Paul says he freely and lovingly lavishes upon you. Your spiritual life is safe and secure, marked in Jesus with a seal, which is the promised Holy Spirit. Wow, doesn't that sound good? Yes and amen. Well, there's one more thing this means for us. And I don't know how else to say it other than, other than this. We cannot hoard the blessing of God for ourselves. All the goodness I just mentioned isn't intended to stay with us. We can't contain God's good gifts within our four walls. As much as I'd like to stay within my own holy huddle and keep the gifts of God for myself, that's not God's intention. Friends, we are God's agents of blessing, given a mission to bless the world with the good gifts he's given us. We're to have dominion over his creation in his name and through the power of his spirit. Now, this promise is for all of us, not just a select few. The invitation to be a disciple of Jesus includes an invitation to partner with him in extending God's love, forgiveness, and redemption to the world that is around you. When I feel inadequate to deal with the chaos of the world, when I'm tempted to take matters into my own hands or to secure my own future, I hear the Spirit of God speaking the same words he spoke to Abram. I hear him saying, don't be afraid. I am your shield, your safety, your security. I am your very great reward. Therefore, go, go be a blessing. Let me love and bless others through you. Now, friends, as I bring this message to a close, 
I want to invite you to reflect on the ways God has blessed you and ask him who you are called to bless. Who are you called to bless? We are blessed to be a blessing right where you are. You don't have to overthink it. We just have to let the love and grace, forgiveness and redemption of Jesus flow through us to the people in our world, the people that he puts in our path. Let's go to God in prayer. I'll begin with the opening verses of Psalm 67. Sovereign God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face to shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. We, your people, praise you, O God, for you are good and just, generous in love and overflowing with kindness. Thank you for securing our life with you in Jesus sealing our future with you by your spirit. Empower us, equip us to be a blessing to the people you've placed in our lives. Open our eyes to see you at work. Give us the courage to join you in your work of redemption and restoration. We remain your faithful children. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and for the furthering of your kingdom. Amen.